Hey, what's up? How you doing? Hanging out in Pompano Beach, Florida. One of my last couple of days here in Florida. Uh, I've got Chewy, my buddy Avi's dog, chilling with me and briefly introducing this episode of the Circle Up podcast featuring none other than the executive director of executive director and founder of Jack.org, one of my good friends and mentors, Eric Windler. Eric's been on the show before. He has over a decade of experience in the mental health space. And so when I think about who do I want to listen to, who do I want to be informed by, whose insight do I want to consider when I, when I am contemplating how to set my sail, meaning how to set my personal philosophy in my life when I decide how to navigate the rough waters at times that is this life we live. You know, when I'm thinking about how to set my sail, I wanna to listen to people who are masters in what they do. And there's no one that I trust more in the space of mental health, youth mental health, um, and, and leadership. Because not only has Eric been involved in the space of youth mental health education, but he built an organization that spans all of Canada and that is influencing the world globally on how to talk about, think about, and feel about our mental health, especially for youth. So if you're interested in learning out how to take care of yourself, how to be there for someone else, especially around how to have difficult conversations, Eric shares an anecdote from after his son Jack passed away by suicide about going into the university and talking to the faculty and talking to the students. And I think it's a hugely powerful uh, story about how to be there for the people around us and how to ask difficult questions and how to take a stand for someone that you see that's struggling. So, um, you know, in this time, we're about to go into another winter depending on where you live in the world. I highly recommend checking this out, whether it's because you wanna implement better habits for your own mental health, you wanna be there for others, or you have that desire to be a better leader in your life, which uh, I know a lot of our listeners do. So uh, without further ado. What I'm wondering from your perspective to kick this off is about context, because the reason I started Circle Up was to have more of a modern conversation about men's mental health. And uh, one of the big things we talk about is that everyone has mental health. And I think, um, you know, you would have seen over the last year with the, with the, the pandemic and with COVID that uh, everyone does have mental health because everyone's being impacted by it. Yeah, it's, it's so true. You know, I think back uh, 11 years ago before I got into this space and, you know, most of your viewers or some of your viewers will know, uh, we had that sort of harsh and unwelcome uh, you know, entry into the mental health space when we lost our son, Jack, uh, who we didn't even know was struggling, you know, if, if only for a jack.org, if only for a circle up at that time, you know, he'd probably be, uh, he'd probably be here today. Um, it, it is, it is uh, something that uh, doesn't pick and choose, it just strikes. And uh, um, uh, I agree with you so much that every conversation is a step in the right direction. How you have those conversations is important. Uh, for sure, uh, but but every step uh, is an important one. And you know, I just think about how it's impacted me personally. Um, you know, building up to the start of this pandemic, uh, and I know how much it's helped me get through this personally. Because you can't do the good work you're trying to do 
unless you're also taking care of yourself, right? That is so critical. And uh, I do want to get into a little bit of that today, how, how some of the coping mechanisms I've built up to, to handle my, uh, frankly, physical and mental health, because the two are also interlinked, if you think about it. Yeah. Now, if you're feeling good, uh, it, it helps you, uh, feeling good physically and strong and energetic, it helps with your mental health as well. Uh, but it's uh, uh, so true that every single person uh, needs to learn how to interact with their mental health and hopefully have the comfort to interact with those around them, the people they care about. You know, why wouldn't you want to support the people who are important to you in your life? And, uh, you know, uh, mental health impacts them all at one point or another, you know, uh, and like we know, it's a spectrum. Uh, it, can, it can affect some people so much more, but it goes up and down throughout your, throughout your lifetime, sometimes throughout your day uh, or week. You know, I've been, uh, I won't go off on a tangent, but I've been supporting a great friend of my uh, older sister's in this past period of time, and you cannot believe what he's gone through with mental health and addiction challenges. And suddenly he's come out the other side. Uh, and I think it's the critical support he had, you know, largely from my sister, but also from me from a distance. He's in Nova Scotia. Uh, that's made a, a, a meaningful difference for him. And that makes me feel good, which reinforces, you know, everything I want to do about mental health. Yeah, there's a there's an interdependence with our relationships where um, I need to fill myself up so that I could give to those around me. Um, and then it's a leaning on each other. Uh, Alan Watts, who's one of my favorite philosophers, talks about the Chinese symbol for man. And it's basically two sticks leaning on each other. And he said, fundamentally, we're, we're there for each other and supporting each other. You take one away and it falls over. And so there's this, this idea of interdependence where what's best for me is best for you, what's best for, for you is best for me. And I need to fill myself up first to be able to give there. Because if you weren't over the last year, taking care of your mental health, going out in the woods and being active and hiking and doing the things that actually fill you up, Eric, then there's no way when this um, opportunity to support someone, to be there for someone came up that you'd be able to give much. It's, it's so true. It's so true. You, and you can't view that as selfish. You got to view that as critical. And, you know, that's what you're doing with Circle Up, especially with this important demographic of, of I assume, largely young men who are pretty new to this uh, whole topic and probably it's been pretty stigmatized and all the rest of it in, in their lives um, and leaning on one, one another, being vulnerable to be, uh, you know, open about how you're feeling and uh, that's going to get the other person to open up a little bit and knowing how to support them in that moment is, is critical. And I've often said, you know, where would we be as a family if we had just gone in a corner and kind of, you know, you know, just inside. Um, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, um, our mental health would have been so much more dramatically uh, impacted. But getting out there and doing something to give back also really helps. And that can be micro. Not everybody has to start Circle Up. You know, not everybody has to start a Jack.org uh, or even be a Jack Talk speaker or anything like that. There's small ways. Know that you can you can support the important people in your life, and I'm all for it. That is for sure. Yeah, I know. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I want to preface my next question around uh, who you are and how I see you. Uh, the reason I'm going to do this is because I had a, a mentor recently tell me he said, "Avoid getting advice from people. 
And I said, why is that? And he said, well, because you know most about yourself. And unless they have a very specific expertise in the area that you're looking for advice in, then they likely don't know more about what's best for you than you know what's best for you. But as an example, if I need legal counsel, I'm going to go to a, a lawyer who has an expertise in that subject. And so uh, that came up around sharing what's on my mind, sharing my challenges. And then rather than getting advice from a bunch of people, I could do the introspection myself. And the reason I bring this up is for those that are listening to this show, wondering why it's important and if should I, should I take uh, Eric's advice or thoughts or ideas? And the answer is yes, because we've talked about um, how you've been in this space for over a decade. You've had your, your hand, your finger on the pulse, so to speak, of the mental health landscape for over a decade. You were thrust into this um, in obviously a very unfortunate way, but over the last 10 years, you've really gained uh, an expertise, uh, a mastery of this subject, and, and most importantly, been paying attention to it. And so where I wanna go here is a lot of people over the last year have struggled for a number of reasons. Everything is linked, right? My financial success and my career success, relates to my relationships, which relates to my mental health, relates to my physical health, so it's all connected. But I'm, I'm wondering, what is the most important thing or what's, what have you noticed most in the last year in the mental health landscape? What's changed or what's stayed the same? What's, what's been the most uh, poignant thing that you've noticed that we could start to pay attention to on this call? Hmm. Well, that's a big one. There's, there's so many things, but the, the things that jump to my mind is, uh, the people who are already struggling are likely struggling more, um, but a whole new cohort is struggling. People that you know probably would have been just happily uh, you know going away at third year university or starting their new job or all the rest of it, and things have been unsettled for them. Uh, and I reflect and compare that to what I've learned, and I think you know people like yourselves, a lot of people in the young people in the Jack Dodder network, and hopefully those that they have touched. Um, have built uh, an understanding of how to take care of their own mental health that has helped them through this period of time. You know, and uh, I would say I wouldn't be where I am today uh, in terms of how I feel if I hadn't built up those skills, honestly, in the last decade. But, uh, but uh, I've really tried to accelerate those probably in the last three or four years as I've really started to, to learn about it, to, to build my routines uh, which have really uh, helped me get through this. And in some ways, uh, you know, not always, but some ways I've even kind of thrived a bit through this period of time because I've kept at it, or at least certainly maybe compared to others. And I'm not trying to make that a competitive thing. I'm just saying it's helped me get through uh, the worst of that. You know, uh, and that all kinds of things. It, it is from exercise and diet and uh, you know, eating well and making sure, like you wouldn't believe, I track my sleep every single day. You know, I could tell you how I slept, you know, uh, 17 days ago, just by a quick review of uh, that log in my phone. Um, but those things become habitual, but they're what I call good habits, right? And I've also learned over the last several years how to eliminate those bad habits that can have a detrimental effect on on my mental health. And they're going to be different for everybody, but, uh, uh, but there is some real key learnings there that, uh, that people can take away. I'm not sure if that's addressing your question. John, but. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good in there. Um, particularly um, what came to mind is, is thinking about your friend who was experiencing this challenge. And what you were saying was people that were struggling 
were more likely to struggle more during the last year. Um, and uh, obviously there's this new cohort that's struggling as well. But I want to talk about that, that, that struggle because we started off the show by talking about everyone has mental health. And the way we describe it during our Jack Talks is that there's a mental health spectrum. Yep. Right? There's healthy stress struggling crisis. And then there's even another spectrum that helps you to reflect on mental illness from no symptoms to um, very challenging symptoms and present daily. And uh, so this idea of there's a mental health spectrum and those that are struggling are more likely to struggle more. That's why I think this, this concept of uh, being there for each other and showing up for each other. And in circle up, we talk about it as masculine care. This, mm -hmm. this almost this, we describe it as a, a ruthless compassion, because if I see someone in my life who's struggling and I don't take a stand for them, then they, if they get to a place where they're in crisis, well, the whole, the whole definition of crisis is they're not in control anymore. And so that's when we have uh, outcomes like suicide as an example, or harming someone else or, or harming ourselves. And so I want, can you talk a little bit about um, that, that part of, cause we talked about all of them, right? Like right now I would consider myself to be healthy, but there's times where I've been stressed. There's been times that I've struggled. And the key is, is to figure out what works for you to go up, up the spectrum. Right. So can you talk to me about this struggling area of the spectrum and then we'll go to stressed after that. So this struggling area of the spectrum where, um, you know, you're, you're likely to de deflect, deny, avoid these conversations. Uh, you likely don't have the energy that you, that you once had. You're likely, uh, this manifests for different people in different ways. Can you talk to me a little bit about uh, what you've learned about that, that struggle? Cause it seems like it is a real challenge for our culture right now. Yeah, I think it's relevant to think about it both in terms of yourself, uh, but sometimes it's even um, easier to identify with it by noticing what's happening in someone close to you and then kind of reflecting that learning back on you, right? And so, I mean, I can often put this in a very personal sense with my, the story about my son, but I'll, uh, I won't do that right now. But, you know, let's say my regular buddy I play squash with Okay, just in normal times, right? I'm not doing that right now. But um, let's say he's never available for games all of a sudden, uh, or he, you know, is playing horribly, or he's he's snappy. He's just not himself. Any kind of, you know, signals like that could be a signal that someone is struggling. And uh, you know, technically in a Jack talk, I think you guys refer to the. Uh, uh, prolonged change in behavior, right? Not a day, not one bad day. But if my squash partner or, or you know, somebody I, I regularly hang out with has prolonged changes of uh, behavior, uh, that's the time to look into it. So as you reflect that same thing back on yourself, now, geez, I used to go running. I, I'm making this up. I used to go running four times a week, but I haven't got off my, my 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 rear end you know for three weeks i haven't done that that should mm. be a little bit of a signal hey what's going on it's an indicator it's an indicator right uh or suddenly you know on the other side of things you know i used to have a couple beers a week uh, uh but i've been having you know multiple beers every single night that's also something that should tell you because if you see that in one of your friends and that wasn't their normal behavior that could be something a signal that you know uh that they're self-medicating around something that's bigger than that. And it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it can be so powerful. And I find you can notice it so, if you're observant about it, you can notice it so clearly in someone close to you. 
Um, and, uh, you know, we're trying to make sure people understand that sort of thing to recognize those signs and symptoms in others and themselves. And then what do you do about it, right, is the next step. Yeah, there's, there's this concept we use um, in men's circles where the reason we're there is to provide a mirror for each other, hmm. right? The way that I observe how you're showing up in your life can actually tell me and reveal something about how I'm showing up in my life. And so I like that you're saying is, you know, I can actually use the, the, the behaviors of my friends that are close to me as a way to just kind of check in with myself and say, well, you know, I've noticed that, well, what am I doing in this area? So I think that mirror concept is really helpful. And then there's, we could go either way with this, which is, okay, now you notice that someone's struggling. Um, what do we do now? Right. How do we, how do we, how do we uh, show up there? Cause there's, I mean, there's like a, a variety of topics and themes here. It's like, we need to have boundaries for ourselves. We also need to, uh, there's an opportunity to take a stand for this person. And the reason I think so is because Jim Rohn always said that you're either growing or you're dying. So the challenge with routines and rituals is if you're, if they're positive, you're likely going in a very positive direction. But the, the other side of it is true as well. If, if you start creeping into this, uh, area of struggling or behaviors or a lifestyle that doesn't serve you or that doesn't fill you up, then it can actually gain momentum in that direction as well. So can you talk to me a little bit about, you say, let's say you see this in somebody, what is, what is typically like, how, how are you there for, for that other gentleman who needed your support over the last few months? Well, I actually practice uh, what we've developed in our resource that you're well aware of our be there resource, right? And uh, I want to preface this all by saying um, I'm not a mental health professional. I, you know, I'm an advocate. I run a youth mental health charity, but we're, we're not a bunch of uh, psychiatrists and psychologists. Uh, we're there to help educate young people on this peer-to-peer -peer basis about mental health. And relevant to your question, I think, is the resource that you're well aware of, the Be There resource, which is not that this is an ad, but it's at bethere.org. And it's been very well received uh, by... Uh, uh, over 600,000 people have now used that site, uh, which blows my mind. And it's really accelerated through COVID as well, because people are more and more looking for it. Uh, but what we did when we found out, you know, several years ago, when we probably only had about, I don't know, 50 or 70 Jack chapters, and now there's close to 250, many more young people uh, in our chapters were coming to us and saying, we're now recognizing some signs and symptoms. Uh, or people are disclosing sort of that two-way thing. So what do we do? Uh, and Be There was a, a, a tool that we, uh, we actually raised a, a bunch of money. Our donors came to our rescue. We raised about 600,000 like overnight and uh, really leaned into building an evidence-based uh, resource that was also engaging. Because one thing we know, all of us, but especially young people, if it's not very engaging, they're just going to scroll on by, you know, I got, I got TikTok to watch, but if it's not engaging, I ain't going to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I won't say be there is quite as engaging. As <laughs> uh, it's hard to, uh, uh, it's hard to match that algorithm. That's for sure. Cause it just serves up all the stuff you care about like constantly. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's built around five uh, simple golden rules, right? And uh, I don't think we have time to go into them all. People can check it out on the site if they want, but you gotta be authentic with that person and you gotta say what you see. That's the first golden rule. 
And if you say what you see in a, in a kind of compassionate and honest and non-judgmental way, I noticed you haven't been wanting to play squash for the last uh, you know, four or five weeks, but you always were the first one to respond to the email. You were always on it. You know, uh, you're not saying, what are you lazy? You're not doing that. You're just saying what you see, right? Uh, and I don't know if you want me to go through them, but then showing that you care about that person is huge. That's the second golden rule. And, you know, I do care about my squash buddy, just like I care about my family and you, Jonathan, and my, my, my friends and, you know, uh, my colleagues at jack.org, etc. cetera. Um, and there's an appropriate way to show you care about each one of those. And that really uh, helps open up that, that relationship and that conversation. And then you give them space. You give them space and encourage them. And this is a tricky one because not everybody, you can't, you know, uh, one of the examples I remember hearing from a parent uh, who was a little on the aggressive side about trying to help their young person. And, uh, you know, they learned over time, you don't just go into that young man's bedroom and sort of pin him against the bed, head of the bed and say, you know, what's wrong? I know something's wrong. I know, you know, I know something's wrong. You, you try to find the time that's right for them. Hey, I'd like to have a conversation. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a more serious conversation. When would be a good time to do that? You know, and this, this, uh, th the same woman I remember evolved her story to say that she started having the conversation when they were out on a long drive and they're alone in the car. Maybe, you know, they didn't have to make eye contact. The, the kid is in the back seat or next to, next to her driving. And they, but they found a time when it was appropriate to have a bit more of a meaningful conversation. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to give them a chance to sort of be heard in a meaningful way and not jump in and try to correct them at every step, but just hear them out, which is the third one. Um, and then, you know, just quickly, uh, the fourth one, the fourth golden rule is know your role. You're not there to fix them. You're there to, to literally be there for them, to support them in any way you can. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got great little examples of that on the Be There site where, you know, and you've done it with countless people, Jonathan, I know that, where you, you know that you're not the doctor, you're not going to prescribe anything, you're not going to, uh, you know, use your solutions on them necessarily, but you're going to try your best to, to help them uh, while knowing that you're their, you're their friend or you're their brother or sister, you're not their doctor. So just try to be there for them. And then, you know, if you get educated yourself, that's where number five comes in, right? You can connect them uh, to help. So you do that in a thoughtful way uh, and, you know, um, pro provide them with a few options because each option won't necessarily fit with each person, right? Um, so I think that's, you know, I, I actually practiced those things in supporting this guy uh, out in Halifax. And it was so helpful to, uh, uh, you know, just to remind myself this is something we've learned how to do. Now let's put it into practice. Uh, and uh, that's why we love it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, that reminded me of a lot of things. First of all, Be There is awesome. And uh, I've had a ton of fun over the last couple of years sharing Be There. I did a podcast um, recently and uh, talked about Be There a ton with Jesse Heyman. And he is such an amazing advocate for men's mental health that I was just so inspired with that conversation. And it's so clear that the resource is exactly what you said. It's great information, but it's also engaging. And that's why people can get behind it. Like 
when you mentioned this driving beside each other, it reminded me of uh, listening to Jason's story with his friend and how they would just sit down in their car and it, they didn't have to make eye contact. So it was, it was just, it was just, it felt easier to let it out. Um, and, uh, that reminds me of just going on long walks with my roommate Ian and we'll walk for an hour at a time and we don't make a ton of eye contact, but you'd be surprised on how vulnerable we could be with each other when we're just walking side by side and kind of letting our bodies take over and letting our minds, uh, you know, just kind of release whatever wants to come out. And it reminds me if I could jump in on another mm -hmm. example I got from a parent who, who learned how to support their, their, their child. I can't remember if it was a young boy or a young girl, but this is a bit of a privileged family because they play golf together. And they found their, I think their son would only open up on the back nine. So it's kind of like you walking, uh, you know, kind of like you do in your walks with Ian, but yeah, they'd, they'd, they'd be into it. They'd be kind of into the groove, but suddenly he'd start to open up, you know, on the back nine and uh, start to feel comfortable uh, about what's, what's on his mind. And uh, so your, whatever your version of that is, you find the right time and space and, and treat it uh, gently and, and try to learn different ways to lean into those tough conversations because they are tough and they're they're kind of risky in some respects, right? Uh, you know, you don't want to offend anybody and you don't know where they are on this, this uh, stigma spectrum, so to speak. So you got to be careful about how you address those things. Yeah, good point where they are on the, the stigma spectrum. If, do you mind elaborating on that? Because we started off this conversation talking about context and the way I look at context is this finger depending on how you look at it, it means different things. In my body, it's a finger, but in direction, it's pointing up. In the context of a number, it's a one. And in the context of an example, it's an example of context. And so like, it just depends on how you look at things, you'll interpret them differently. So can you talk to me about this mental health stigma? Because like, if you don't think that everyone has mental health, then you might not think it applies to you. And so then having a conversation about how your how's my mental health right now could actually be very confronting and challenging and actually challenge your identity, um, which in Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle talks about how we attach our ego to our identity. And if you if if you are conflicting with my identity, then I actually have this experience of ego death, which makes me feel like I'm dying. And so we get attached to that. So if I'm attached to I don't have mental health or I've never been open to this conversation. You can see how challenging that could be for someone. Yeah, I think it's another one of these spectrums, right? You know, and and I would say um, I personally have never really had um, uh, a personal stigma. You know, we as soon as we found out about what happened with our son, uh, we were incredibly open about it. We weren't, you know, hiding that story. And until you know, literally to this day, I, I see families who can't be comfortable. Uh, explaining what actually happened. So that's me personally, okay? But, but we're all different on where we lie on that, on that uh, spectrum, you know, in terms of, and a lot of it comes from our, from our upbringing, you know, from what's handed down from our parents or culturally, you know, where the cultural conversation is. You hear about lots of different cultures who, who really don't, they, they don't really recognize mental health as a thing, right? And, uh, so it's complicated. I think it's come a long way. So I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not an issue that is defeated yet, uh, but it's, uh, you know, back in 2010 and 11, when I started getting into this and learning, I said, well, this is definitely gonna be a 20 or 30 year 
objective. And I think we've made huge progress, mm-hmm. um, you know, in that in that uh, decade or so. But there's still a long way to go, and, and that's complicated by the fact that uh, uh, you know there's new people coming through all the time, right? You know, the, the young people are coming up through the system. They're subject to uh, you know what's going on, uh, the challenges that they they see, but also the expectations set. Now, I often think of, we did a, uh, pre-Jack talks, I used to give a lot of the talks and uh, before we really got the young people doing them. And I remember doing a talk at an independent school in Toronto and fully 75% of the uh, young men at this boys school, it was a boys only school, said, oh, well, our parents fully expect us to either go to Queen's Commerce or Ivy Business School. In other words, if we don't do that, we're a failure. Yeah. You know, and, and th- those are expectations. And I'm sure those parents didn't mean to impact those young people's mental health. But a bunch of them came up to me after the after the conversation or after the talk. And we started talking about this. And it, it really that one really struck me about not everybody would get impacted by that. But some of those young men would be heavily impacted by that because they weren't all going to get in. You know, those are very competitive programs, probably like trying to get into uh you know, uh, any a med school or law school or yeah. something, right? And if you fail, uh, you know, and that's what uh, uh, I'm sure that's what my son was going through in part is is exacerbated because he he was plenty smart. He had streamed gifted. I always say took after takes after my wife intellectually. Of course, um, of course. Not into the school of his choice. School had always been easy, but then you get hit by mental illness. And you have that shame and embarrassment. He hadn't been going to class for months. So, of course, he wasn't going to get through that year. Yeah. Right. And you can imagine how that just is one more weight. And stigma is kind of like a weight on top of you that, that prevents you from, uh, you know, talking about things, from taking good actions to take care of yourself, or reaching out from support. And it is something we just got to eradicate for sure. And what, what things are like what you're doing uh, are going a huge way to do that, especially with a, a tough demographic like young men. Yeah, that's a it's a super important conversation. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're bringing it up. How, how come how come you think men or young men have such a hard time talking about this? Like, how come you think that it impacts them so so strongly? When when I look at stats, like 75 percent of suicides are men. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not the uh, the experts on the how and why, but my take on that is uh, there is actually, as I understand it, more attempts by women, uh, but men unfortunately take more lethal steps. So uh, you know that's uh, I don't know if that goes along with you know the macho tough, uh, but uh, aggressive. And, yeah, and you know, and particularly in countries like the U.S., where where unfortunately guns are available gun laws are, are, are uh, less restrictive and guns are more available, those sorts of things can, can lead to that. So it's a more permanent decision in that sort of case. You know, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I could get into so many tragic stories because I deal with so many families who've just lost somebody and they want to get involved somehow. And of course, you'll learn their story along that journey. And, uh, you know, whether it's a family I was dealing with recently, both parents were doctors but they weren't mental health doctors, but they didn't even, you know, recognize that their young daughter was, was struggling. Right. And, uh, 
Uh, so even people that are really educated in the medical space don't know how to combat these things. So it's really something we got to get out there to every single family, to every single, you know, young man and women or uh, et cetera. It's uh, so hugely important. In the, in the book, in the circle of book uh, that I've been working on and writing, and it's been, it's been a very interesting experience for me to work on a project like this because the way I think about writing is it's refined thought. So like I thought I knew what I was talking about until I started writing it down and then I'm like, what am I actually talking about here? <laughs> I'm like trying to you know, make it cohesive and, and make sense and make the metaphors connect. One of the, one of the pieces that, that I talk about is about how doubt kills the warrior and how on the battlefield of your life, experiencing doubt will make you hesitate. And then that hesitation gives an opportunity for more doubt to creep in. And it reminds me of anxiety and, and oftentimes I like to describe it the way Alan Watts describes it is bringing a microphone too close to a speaker and it creates this loud resonance. And if you've ever been in a gymnasium, you know how, how powerful it can get and it gets bigger and louder and, 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 and more overwhelming. And so this anxiety and this doubt we experience actually creates more space for more anxiety and doubt. And it's like, um, I'm, I don't even have anxiety anymore. I have anxiety about my anxiety. And, uh, and doubt takes men off the battlefield. It takes men off the court, so to speak, of their lives. Um, I'm just wondering for you, what's been your strategies? Because I know you've been a successful entrepreneur. You, you're a successful leader. Um, I see you as a, as, a, as a strong, positive, masculine role model in my life. And I'm just wondering, how do you work through your doubt? How does, how does that show up for you? And, and what have you been able to do about that um, in your life? Hmm. It's interesting. I, I, I have had a lot of good fortune in my life um, and, and sometimes of struggle. And uh, the first time where struggle really showed up and I, I became doubtful, I guess, if you're calling that, that I could get through it, it was actually for me in first year university for different reasons because I, I, although I did struggle with my mental health, I don't think I struggled like at a clinical level. But uh, I came, this is long before your time, Jonathan, but. <laughs> a province uh, where we only went to grade 12 and Ontario where I went to school and where most of the rest of the students came from um, went to grade 13. Okay so they were not only a year older a year more mature they had taken a whole year more of courses mm -hmm. and uh, while I did great in in uh, high school I was even you know our, our head boy of our high school uh, and I did fine academically uh, I was not prepared some of the stuff not all of it but some of it was frankly just over my head and mm. compounding with that um, because high school had been you know fairly easy I kind of you know I didn't cruise through but I I didn't great, develop great study habits mm. and that's a challenge with with brighter young people mm. uh, and I think that really tripped up Jack is is if you don't have those skills to lean on uh, and those great study habits and work habits and so there was a couple courses that I just barely got through in first year. And I remember, um, you know, uh, that call that I made to uh, my parents and I was more worried about disappointing my dad than mm. my mom. And that's the male thing. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, in fairness to him, 
he was a very supportive father, but he had learned a lot by the time he got to me because we have, I have six, uh, five brothers and sisters. There's six oh, wow. of us. And I, I was fifth, right? So he had learned a lot to me. So sure. I can only imagine what my eldest brother uh, went through in terms of that, you know, don't disappoint me. But literally, after I told him that I was worried about this, he said, don't disappoint me, which is the, the actual opposite of the golden rules of how, of how you want to support somebody, right? Totally. But he was just a product of, you know, what he had gone through. Um, so uh, I've kind of lost track of where this, I am. This reminds me of what you were saying about these students who are expected to go into this Ivy Business School or the Queen's Commerce. And the interesting part that I had kind of parked in my head, wasn't going to bring up, but I'm going to bring back now, was around not only may they not have the right uh, IQ or study ability or, uh, or like a chance to get in, they might not even give a shit at all. They might not care at all about business or commerce. Like as an example, the, the introspection that I've been having with myself over the last year, back in April, uh, I was fired from my job. They didn't need salespeople anymore. And I always say that the second best thing that happened to me was getting that job. And the best thing that happened to me was getting fired from that job because um, it gave me an opportunity to be very introspective about what do I actually want? What type of life do I want to design? And so there, that's, the, that's the piece where I was thinking about just like, maybe they don't want to go to Ivy Business School. Maybe that's not what they want at all. And, uh, and so that I could see how this don't disappoint me, this expectation can really um, create a lot of doubt for young people. It's like, maybe they don't actually know what they want and, and why isn't it okay to have tons of time to think it over and try new things and test it out and see what I actually want to do. Yeah, you know, that expectation piece is, is, is really important because they do get put upon you, you know, by your, your teachers, by your family. Uh, but I, I think one of the most dangerous ones is the expectations you put on yourself. And, uh, you know, while I feel like we didn't put a lot of expectations on Jack, I'm sure because I was a successful businessman, Sandra was a senior executive at, uh, at one of the big banks, I'm sure that there was that, well, I have to live up to that. And probably we didn't know how to diffuse that enough. And that's just by having good, authentic conversations about what's important to you. You know, like, you know, you would be totally fine if you want to be a, a musician or an artist or a, a teacher or, or a doctor or, or a lawyer or a businessman, whatever it is, as long as it's something you're passionate about. Uh, and, and, you know, we did always try to encourage, uh, try your hardest. I think that was okay as the thing to say. Um, but, but I remember one of our quotes was, we're, we're fine if you're a Starbucks barista or a doctor, anywhere along, as long as you're trying hard and, and you're, you know, you're doing something that you're passionate about. Uh, not to diminish Starbucks baristas, they're awesome too, right? Um, but, you know, there's a spectrum of uh, expectations that, that probably those kids at that independent school uh, were going through because they probably had successful parents and, and they were feeling, I've got to live up to that, right? And I think people really thrive if they're, if they're uh, not feeling they have to live up, but they're just living their authentic life and then they can really thrive in that respect, right? Like, will you will you go back to sales? I mean, you could sell you could <laughs> sell anything, right? I mean, uh, but but I on reflection, after spending a few years at that, do you think that's what you'll go back into, or do you want to do something a little different? 
Uh, I remember when I did the Bell Let's Talk talk for Jack.org and there was a question opportunity at the end and, and they said, what do you think employers should do differently for their companies, uh, for their employees, especially during this, this pandemic? And I said, um, they should be investing in their employees. And I reflected on that for myself is the reason I was doing the job that I was doing was less about, I'm like a very passionate sales guy, although I could get behind that, definitely that concept, but it was more for me, which is something I'd like to talk about with, with Jack.org and how it provides an opportunity for young people to develop skills. It was an opportunity for me to develop skills that I cared about, skills that mattered to me, right? Because I'm able to take them and apply them to my entire life. Jim Rohn always said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. He said, if you work hard on yourself, you can make a living. If you work hard, on, uh, if you make, work hard on your job, you can make a living. If you work hard on yourself, you can make a fortune. So I go back to sales, probably not, because I took that time to work hard on myself. Even though I was working in sales, I was also doing Toastmasters every single week, which is leadership communication opportunity. I was volunteering for Jack.org, um, where they, I was getting opportunities to speak in front of you know, dozens, hundreds of young people um, and advocate for something I cared about, become a leader in many respects. And I was also um, doing seminars and reading books and listening to podcasts because you know, that, was the, that was the context that I took on after being influenced by Jim Rohn, which he said, the wind of life blows on us all. The, the, the question about where you end up is how you set your sail. And you're good with quotes, dude. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. The more, the more you repeat them. So I live with, I basically live with like a philosopher, poet, um, artist, my roommate, my best friend, Ian Gabriel. Um, and it's cool because Alan Watts talks about there's gooey people who are like usually like in the clouds and, you know, they're kind of go with the flow. And then there's people that are very prickly and they're kind of like more in the dirt and they want to like have things clear cut and they want their calendar scheduled and everything like that. And I'm very prickly. If you would have met me, Eric, before I met Ian, I would have been just like all prickles. And if you would have met Ian before he met me, he would have been all goo. And because of each other, I'm prickly goo and he's gooey prickles and it's like the yin and yang. So I get, I get the best of both, which is actually something we've talked about a lot recently, which is the, probably the best thing someone could do for their mental health, especially during the, the pandemic where having your own social bubble is really important because you really can't hang out with a lot of people is having one person where, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, they've got your back and without a shadow of a doubt, you've got their back. Did you, you, that's what you and Ian have, right? Totally. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. totally. And I, and I feel like, like, as an example, like, who knows, like, did Jack have someone like that when he was going through university? Did he have someone that was like, you know, buddy, buddy, that was keeping an eye on him and keeping, you know, and Jack's keeping an eye on him? Like that. Oh, sadly, he didn't. And I think that's a learning for, for, for parents. Uh, for some reason, uh, like he went to Queens, um, and it had no, uh, no relation to the fact that I went to Queens, uh, literally, no relation. Uh, wow. And he made that clear. What he did say was he didn't want to go, he wanted to strike out on his own. He didn't want to go where all the other people went uh, in his graduating class. And as it, as it happened, not many of them went to, none of his close friends went to Queens. The other thing, he, um, he did have an independent streak to him, and he wanted a... Um, he wanted and was able to get a, a single room. And uh, certainly I would, uh, I, like, I remember, you know, how I bonded with my roommate, you know, back in 1978 when I showed up and there he was in the room and 
you know, within a week we were great friends and then we lived together for four years. A couple other guys joined us for years two, three, and four, but, um, you know, we had each other's back. Uh, and, uh, uh, that, that, that bond is something that you can be a little more deliberate if you think that young person in your life needs that sort of relationship. I have actually heard of young people who go off to school deliberately and even plan their roommate to be someone they kind of go with. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I think the world can be much more aware of that sort of uh, risk and opportunity now. It frankly, unfortunately, just wasn't even on our radar. And would that have changed the outcome? We can't be 100% certain. But uh, you know, when I went down and talked to the, uh, the other students on the floor and the residents, Don, um, they observed the behavior that had gone on for several months. You know, we talked about uh, having your eyes open to that, that distinct change in behavior. They observed that. They knew he wasn't going to classes. Uh, they knew he wasn't coming out of his room. They knew he wasn't socializing. But they didn't put two and two together. And that's where the work like our organization and so many others is going to make a difference uh, because that would have given those, those that residents on in particular the confidence to knock on the door and say, hey, let's have a conversation. Uh, and uh, that could have been a, that could have been life altering, obviously. Um, there's also other things that I don't think is the subject of this podcast, but, you know, privacy guidelines prevent schools in most cases from even uh, breaking that privacy barrier that when you're worried about somebody, you know, yeah. can we reach out to uh, a friend or a family or somebody? Yeah. Um, and uh, most schools have a, a situation in place that unless a student, because they're over 18, unless a student has signed off on that uh, permission, um, that typically, uh, you know, unless literally somebody is bleeding or, you know, has, you know, is obviously in, in some sort of uh, 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 risky situation, um, they won't break that privacy barrier. And that's, that's another challenge, not for today, but uh, relates to uh, uh, helping people through struggles. Well, I got, I got a couple more themes in mind, but I was hoping you could come full circle on this conversation around doubt. So you were in your, you were in your dorm, you felt like there was this don't disappoint expectation. How did you ultimately uh, put one foot in front of the other again, because that's the big, if I'm, if I'm, if I had to put circle up into one purpose, it's to get men in action, get them mm -hmm. off the couch, get them off the couch. And it's not that being like, it's not like hanging out and chilling isn't cool, but it's only cool when it's contrasted about being off the couch, right? If you're only on the couch, then you're only on the couch. So um, how did you get back into action? How did you step forward from that call saying, don't disappoint me. Well, there's actually something that um, sticks with me that started before that call, uh, because by the time the call came, I had already um, started to address the issues. And I'll remember it was a it's a guy I'm loosely in touch with still, and he wasn't in my room; he was in the next room over, uh, and uh, uh, he was in my program. Though. And uh, <clears throat> I remember one of the things that was really tough for me because I hadn't taken any calculus, but I was in calculus. And most of the Ontario students had already taken a year of calculus. And, uh, uh, you know, some people could adapt to that and just learn and get through it, but I struggled with it. But it was this guy, his name was Drew, and he, he sort of tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, you're not doing enough, dude. <laughs> you know, buckle down. <clears throat> But he did it in a way that it, I didn't feel judged. 
And I just realized, you know, he's probably right. And uh, I did reach out to a couple of the uh, profs. Uh, I, I remember getting a, a little bit of coaching by one of my uh, classmates who was a little better at that subject than me. Um, so, and then this call happened and that sort of, fortunately for me, it doubled down on my, I had enough resilience to double down and get through it. But that's where the fine line is, right? If I had, if I had uh, been struggling more or, because, or, you know, I did get through and I could tell I was going to be close, but, uh, uh, but I was on the right side of the, the pass-fail mark. And uh, if I was on the wrong side of that and, and you can't see getting through it, or if layer on top of that, uh, you're truly struggling with your mental health, I don't think I would have got through it by any stretch. But I do affect... Uh, and I should I should correct myself there. If you're struggling with a mental illness, I was definitely struggling with my mental health, and that lasted into second year. I remember I was uh, uh, where it hit me though um, was mainly anxiety uh, and uh, a constantly uh, butterfly upset stomach. And I used to you know I can't remember what the antacid is called, but I used to you know, drink this white stuff that would sort of settle down my stomach so I could get focused on things because it was, it was nerves really. And so I was struggling with my mental health, but not at a point of mental illness where I needed professional care. But that's that little spectrum we started with, right? If you're just a little further along that spectrum, uh, it, it could have had a really uh, tough outcome. And then beyond that, you know, what are the optics around actually failing when you've been doing well all your life? You're so worried about that. And I, I, uh, I can imagine how difficult that is in these times for people, you know, adapting to this uh, work remote or school remote or whatever it is and not being able to bring their best self to, to whatever they're dealing with, right? If you layer on top of that a mental illness, uh, it just becomes a super difficult challenge. One of the things that I want to point out here is you mentioned uh, trying your best as being good advice. And I agree that I should bring my best and do my best. Um, but I think one thing that, that I have misinterpreted with that, I, that concept of do your best, because Yimron always said, like, you should always test the boundaries of what you're capable of doing. And I agree with that. Um, is what state do you come from it at and with? If I come from a state of like this, attention and I need to be exceptional and I need to try hard, then I really feel like um, there's, there's a lot to be learned here around, uh, for myself anyway, around like, I've been listening to Joe Dispenza and he talks about the analytical mind. And he talks about when you're in the analytical mind, which is the neocortex, which is the, like the, the most recent development of the brain, um, it's hard to be creative. And the analytical mind is mostly I'm responsible for stress and um, for like this feeling of like a, this rush, almost like I need to get somewhere. And so, you know, I think actually what I'm reflecting on is I perform better when I'm relaxed. I perform better when I am well slept. I perform better when I have energy. And so bringing my best and doing my best and trying hard actually starts from a place of like, who am I being first? And what I decided to do because of this, this conversation with myself is when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I'm going to do is it, it almost seems counterintuitive because my entire life has been, I'm going to grab a coffee. I'm going to check my email. I'm going to start responding messages and start getting out in the world and doing stuff. 
And instead, I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna go lay down on the floor and I'm gonna breathe deeply for 10, 15 minutes. And when I realize that I don't have to do anything, then I can do anything I want if I start from a state of relaxation first. And so um, the reason I brought that up is because I'm wondering for you, um, you know, now that you're at your age, and I'm thinking about my dad who's turning 79 on May 5th, um, how do you think about that for yourself, um, this concept of relaxation, this concept of um, matching that with doing your best? Because when I look at you, I see you as someone who's in the world trying to make a difference. It's interesting. Uh, my life has changed so much in that respect, Jonathan. And it, it's, it's, it's funny, we start our days the same way. But, uh, and I'll get into it in a second. But, but I have learned how to build up kind of micro habits that I practice through the day. And they are good habits. And they go right literally until I go to sleep from the minute I wake up. Uh, and for me, it starts and honestly, it's, it's, it's not 15 minutes, it's eight minutes of deep breathing. Um, it, it, and it's so automatic now that I don't want to hop out of bed. And I would say it's once a month, I don't do that because, you know, the doorbell rings or something and I just got to get out of bed. It's that, it's that built into my, and then shortly thereafter, you know, after I, uh, you know, wash my face and, and, uh, you know, uh, go to the bathroom, I, I do a, a tiny bit of exercise, literally only about five minutes of well, I'll tell you if you want to know, I do, I do a extended plank, right? Which is just good for your whole body. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then, then my day starts and it starts with hydration. Uh, it starts with one cup of, of coffee and usually one or two decafs because I don't want to have too much caffeine. Um, and you know, I get caught up on the news. I take some time with, with, uh, with Sandra, uh, and you know, there's some days when you don't have time to do all that if you have a really early call or something, but, but I've tried to build that into the routine. And then I do another couple of bouts of exercise through the day. Um, I've gotten into a real, uh, a real deep habit in terms of how I eat and what I eat and when I eat um, that has become so routine and so uh, makes me feel good and energized and good about myself too, if I could just say frankly about that. Um, and it's, it's like almost entirely got me off sugar, for example. I don't crave, and I'm not trying to judge people who love donuts. The donuts are amazing, okay? But I don't crave those things anymore because I've gotten away from them. Um, and I just feel so good when I'm, when I'm eating what I want to eat, which in my case is, is generally just pretty healthy foods. And, uh, you know, uh, the, as the day progresses, uh, you know, I do some evening meditation. Uh, maybe I should be doing that at a different time of day, but that's when I find time to do it. Uh, and I make sure I get to bed at a regular time every night. And just like, uh, uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I track my sleep. Uh, I also, uh, and this is maybe a little on the uh, anal side, I also track uh, what I drink because I've made a conscious effort to, yeah. to, to sleep better. And I've noticed uh, alcohol has an impact on my sleep. You know, some people think, oh, maybe it'll help me pass out quicker. Yeah, I know, but you have a crap sleep if, you, if you've had too much to drink, right? And so I hardly drink compared to what I used to drink. Not that I had a real problem or anything, but I hardly drink anymore. And I keep track of what I drink. And that reinforces me uh, in these 
for me, helpful patterns. I'm not trying to judge what everybody should do, but for me, helpful patterns. And uh, it makes you feel better about yourself. It sets a good example for others and not everybody will want to follow that example. Uh, but I have noticed how it's rubbed off on some people. And, uh, and that's really helped me through this last period of time because those things are 100% in my control. Uh, that's exactly what I was curious about is, is, um, is around what what can we control and like in this in this conversation what i'm coming to around around men's mental health around global mental health especially with all of the the challenge that's happening right now and things that are out of our control is like what can i come back to for myself and anchor myself inside of what well, i can anchor myself inside of my my meditation and my habits and my rituals and i'm glad you mentioned in terms of not judging anyone else for the, the decisions they make because in our Jack Talks, we talk about filling up looks different for everybody. So it's about getting to know yourself, what works for you, what makes you feel good, what gives you energy, and you're describing things that work for you. And I wanted to bring it up so I could show my dad because it's his birthday in a, in a couple, in a week here. Um, and just to remind him that him filling himself up and doing those things is going to benefit me and benefit our family and, and keep us thriving and keep us healthy. Yeah, and it does come from a point of view of wanting to, wanting to be here for a while. You know, I I, uh, I do believe in a better health for better longevity, and uh, you know I want to be there when when you know hopefully Ben and Julia are having uh, kids and grandkids and all the rest of it. I, that's important to me. I want to I want to be there, and I want to be there in ideally a thriving way, not just not just hanging on by the <laughs> by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I'm looking at I'm looking at all of the ideas that I want to talk about on the show, and it's clear that um, because I, I see you as a, a brother and a friend and a mentor, we're gonna have more of these chats. Um, one of the one of the conversations that keeps coming up in my life is around addiction and, and being there to support people with addiction. Um, I think we might have to do a full episode on that if you're open to it, because I wanted to park it and talk about one last thing. The last question I've got for you is around what advice would you have given yourself when you were in university or what advice would you have given yourself in your 20s knowing what you know now or or what advice would you share with with young men who are in high school or university around their mental health or any of these concepts we've talked about today because i'm thinking about you know what what would i tell myself then but also what am i telling myself now because i'm right there in the middle of it all <laughs> right there in my uh turn 26 this year and, um, and I think this age is so important. I think it's so important. I had a, a mentor. I was on a call with him for three hours the other day. He did a, a big group session. It was a big seminar over Zoom. And I was listening to him. And he said, your 20s is about discovering who you are. And he said, that's why it's so challenging when people put so much pressure on themselves. is because they don't even know where they are yet. <laughs> right? And, so, and that's okay. And not that pressure. So I was wondering for yourself, what would you tell yourself when you well, were in your 20s? If I was to tell myself as if I was in my 20s now, it would have been different of what I would have told myself when I was in my 20s back in, you know. Uh, in the 70s. Yeah, I was born in uh, uh, 1960, so I guess it would have been. Uh, Late 70s, yeah. Yeah, I started university at uh, in 78. Uh, uh, you know, if... And I remember, you know, mental health literally didn't exist as a topic then. And I do remember, I uh, reflected on this, there, there 
there was a student who went missing and we never heard anything about it. You know, now I know wow. like what that cause was. Okay. Um, but uh, for me, and maybe it's because I'm so engaged in the mental health conversation, um, it all comes down to educating yourself about med you know, mental health. And everybody doesn't go as far as you've gone, Jonathan, because uh, you're not just educating yourself. You've educated you know, thousands of others. Okay. And uh, that, is, uh, that is also something that helps educate you. you know, I remember getting taught once upon a time, in order, to, um, in order to effectively teach a subject, you have to really know it well. You, you can't just sort of know it and skate through it. Uh, but, you know, it, I, I more think what what would I have loved to to teach the uh, you know my my children uh, so Jack and I've got uh, Ben and Julia who are two years younger and two years younger respectively and uh, so they were you know if you think about it they were 16 and 14 at the time we lost Jack right so um, we didn't know an awful lot by the time Ben got heading off to university, but we, we were involved with this work. We knew a lot more by the time Julia was heading off. So we started to have those conversations. But, but I, would be, I would be telling myself, amongst all the other things you want to learn about the world, you want to learn about yourself authentically, but you want to also learn about, about uh, you know, mental health. And that's, that's my bias, if you like, because I think everybody can benefit from learning about their mental health. As we say, five in five people have mental health, you know, one in five, or in the, in the case of youth, one in four will struggle with their mental health and, and live with a mental illness, but we all have mental health and we can all benefit and improve our mental health just by understanding it a little bit more and taking that step to get educated. Um, and then, you know, practicing that in conversations with, with your peers, I think it'll pull you closer together with people and it will really pull you closer together with your with yourself uh, to to really understand your authentic self. You know, I think why did I go into business? Probably because um, you know I don't regret it. It worked out for me, okay. But probably because my father and my uncle had wished they went into business. They had entrepreneurial chances in their in their younger life, and they they didn't take those opportunities. So I kind of felt that opportunity, oh man, I'm gonna do something that they wish they had done. And I, was, oh, I got through that, I made, I, you know, made that move and it, it, it worked out. But uh, you gotta do what's really authentic for you, not do it because you felt pressure to do it from your parents. Uh, you know, I, I mean, a healthy kind of encouragement from parents is great, but not that overbearing you know, helicopter parent who is unrealistically putting expectations on, on their kids. Really get to know what works for you. And that, you know, it's really striking to me what you're doing right now, taking this period of time in your life, uh, you know, to travel, really learn more about yourself and the world, really follow your passions for a period of time. Uh, I think that is uh, a really cool thing. You know, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm really uh, kind of envious in a way, but... <laughs> proud of what you're doing thank you man well i we've already talked about this before as soon as you're as soon as you're ready to get back in, in the in the world and, and travel when the world opens up and lets you do that we'll meet you in europe i'll meet you on the mountains we'll go hiking we'll get our poles we'll get our sticks you have to show me what yep. real hiking looks like yep sandra and i can hardly wait i mean it's uh it's uh it's something that really has helped heal us you know to get out into nature and you know, challenge your body a little bit, but really spend time with those who you love. And uh, 
uh, in a beautiful sur uh, surroundings that is so, you know, it's such a privilege to be able to do that. And hopefully we can get back to that before too long. I know this is your work day, and so I, will, I won't keep you any longer. I just wanted to make a note on what you said about teaching others as a reinforcement of those lessons. That's the biggest thing that I've been getting for myself writing the Circle Up book, is thinking that I knew what I was talking about, and then having to use this desire to teach and share as an opportunity to actually come to terms with what am I actually trying to say here? What do I actually believe? Um, and like learning about myself in that process and, and actually applying the lessons of the book as I'm doing, as I'm living my life refines the ideas over time. So big takeaway for me. And uh, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to share anything else that's on your heart. I know um, the world is, uh, the world is seeking inspiration. The world is seeking leadership. The world is seeking hope. And I think uh, you provide all those for me. You provide that for the network injected org. Uh, you provide that for the people in your circle. So I want to thank you for, for filling yourself up so that you can give to us um, and just ask you if there's anything else you wanted to share before we close this, uh, the second podcast off. No, I think it's, it's so important that, that you, you take care of yourself first so that you can take care of those around you and you'll get so much back mm. uh, from both of those things. Really, you'll be able to perform at a higher level and you'll get so much back from helping others. And again, that doesn't have to be writing a book, like that amazing book I'm looking forward to that you're writing. It doesn't have to be starting a charity or, or you know, uh, a group like you're doing. Uh, but these little, these little micro things that you can do to help your own life and help those around you, they're gonna pay huge dividends back. And frankly, we see that throughout our network. You know, we had a, uh, we had a talk with a lot of our Jack Riders last night, uh, we're having a series of them and we invite the captains into a talk and one of our uh, lovely young network reps and talk speakers, Aswani, uh, spoke to them all and I could just see the reaction hearing from her authentic story. You know, and I don't know her exact age, but I'm going to say she's around 20, 21. And, you know, uh, I can't imagine when I was 21 getting invited into uh, a Zoom of, you know, a whole pile of adults yeah. Uh, associated with his charity and authentically sharing what she has gone through. It, you know, it, it was so inspiring to me uh, and to all of them, but also I think would build on her because she's giving back, right? Totally. She's sharing to help others and it's going to help her. Uh, and she talked about how it, uh, you know, it was really uh, anxiety producing to go through the training to become a talk speaker, but she pushed through that and now it's given her so much confidence and, uh, capability. I think uh, those are all great lessons for us to pay forward to ourselves so you can pay forward to others and do those both very consciously. And if you're listening to this and you're interested in more confidence and developing leadership skills and being part of community, then I highly recommend you reach out to the team at Jack.org who have opportunities for you to grow. Um, reach out to Circle Up where there's opportunities for you to grow. And, and I want to say uh, on that last point where you said it doesn't have to be a book or starting a charity. It's these, these small things that we do every single day. Shame on me for not knowing the whole poem off by heart, but I have to remember it. Um, when my nephew Noah passed away, I wrote a poem. And one of the lines is, um, every uh, righteous deed, um, it's depths unknown, it's lasting effects to which we're blind. So every single act, small, big, doesn't matter. Um, moves the world towards uh, the future you desire in a better place. So thanks for 
Thanks for doing that, man. Hey, it's been great to be here. Looking forward to the book. Keep on totally. going. That's another example of you leaning hard into something. You'll get so much out of it, but you'll you'll your sharing of what you've learned will be, uh, will be incredible. Uh, yeah. So all the best to Ian and everybody down there. Enjoy uh, enjoy your travels. I just wanted to jump on here really quickly and close off the show by thanking Eric again all these months later. I'm watching the recording. It was my dad and I in a hotel room in Miami Beach, Florida, just going over the, the recording, taking notes, enjoying your anecdotes, and um, just have so much gratitude for you and your family and your resilience. And uh, I just wanted to, to come on here and, and share with the listeners that if you're interested in hearing more from Eric, he actually wrote the foreword for the Circle Up book, which is called, Man, You Know I Got You, Why the Future of Men's Mental Health and Masculinity Are Not Man Up, But Circle Up. And uh, just so proud and, and grateful to have Eric kind of put his stamp of approval. Um, our missions are aligned and there's nobody in the space of mental health that has inspired me more to get out in the world and share this message. And uh, definitely without a shadow of a doubt, this podcast wouldn't exist, this book wouldn't exist, and the work that I do on a daily basis wouldn't be as focused and aligned on sharing how we can change the way that we talk, think, and feel about our mental health and how we do not need to deny, deflect, and avoid what we're going through because when you don't face the dragons in your life, what you don't face grows and multiplies. And what was once just a kitten-sized dragon that was not really an issue can grow and grow and grow and take over your whole life. And so you don't need to deny and deflect. I know it's uncomfortable, but if it wasn't for Eric and if it wasn't for the lessons that I learned volunteering with Jack.org for over three years, going into high schools, going into universities and sharing this message, then Circle Club wouldn't exist and this book wouldn't exist. And uh, the spaces that we create at Circle Up where men can come and they can take off their mask and they can honor the truth and men can take a stand for each other for the man that they've always wanted to be uh, wouldn't be possible without Eric's influence in my life. So if you want to check out a little bit more about Eric, obviously check out jack.org. You can follow Eric on Instagram as well. And uh, you can check out the foreword in the Man You Know I Got You book, which is available anywhere books are sold. Um, thank you for tuning into the podcast. If you found an idea here that you liked, that you contemplated, that will help you set a better sale in your own personal philosophy, then please share this with a friend. Support the show by subscribing. And we will tune in with you on the next episode of the Circle of Podcast. Till then, don't man up circle up.